0: we hear people complain and fuss that they just don't think God's there. That God is an abstract idea. But that God does not have any care or any concern for the individual. When we hear that complaint from people, We're not hearing something new. We're actually hearing something quite old. Sometimes we'll hear people say, well, how could God care for me? How could God guide me? Or how could God have any concern what happens to me? I mean, seriously. After all, there are so many people in our world today. I'm, I'm only one of nearly 6,000 people that live in Center, Texas. I'm only one of almost 330 million people that live in the United States. I'm only one of nearly 8 billion people on this planet. How can God have time to be concerned with just one person like me? As I said, that's not a new concept. That idea actually existed way back in the first century when Jesus Christ walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine. And it was actually not even a new thing then. People sometimes lament the fact that, well, you know, really and truly one man or one woman does not really amount to much. In this age we live in, what one man does or what one woman does is unimportant, people say. And many people feel like that it's only the big things, the great forces, the gigantic movements that have any impact in our day and time. I think at one time or another, nearly all of us have felt insignificant. At one time or another, we've all felt somewhat unimportant. We've all felt like, well, you know, what happens to the individual doesn't really count. And while that might be true as far as men are concerned, while that certainly is obviously true as far as our government is concerned, it's not that way With God. Our text in Matthew chapter 10 tells us what Jesus had to say on this subject when there were those in his day and time who felt unimportant and insignificant. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your Father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Listen to it. Fear you not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus says to those people, you think you're insignificant? Jesus says, you think you're not of any value because there's so many people? He said, look at the marketplace. And what is the cheapest thing you know of in the marketplace? It's a sparrow. There are millions of them everywhere. And Jesus said, you can buy two sparrows for a farthing. A farthing was the smallest coin they had. So you might say, if you looked at it today, you could get two sparrows for a penny. Sparrows were plentiful, and sparrows were the cheapest thing that there was. Jesus says, do you know of anything cheaper than a sparrow? But He says, yet. Not even one of those sparrows falls to the ground that God is not aware of it. It concerns Him. And Jesus goes on, speaking in the oriental hyperbole to make it clear and plain. He said, see all this hair on your head? All this hair on your head, Jesus said, is numbered. Now I realize that that's a lot harder with some people than it is with others. I mean, I like to tease my father-in-law that he goes to the barber shop, they don't charge him for a haircut, they're charging him a finder's fee for which hair they're going to cut. But Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He said, that's just how much God cares about you in particular. Those of you that think it doesn't matter. Those who think it doesn't make any difference what you do. Those who think that it's just the great movements that concern God. You just don't know about the complete knowledge of God. Jesus said there isn't a person who gives a cup of cold water to a little child in the name of a disciple who doesn't get his reward for it. You know what? In that far off day and time, people didn't believe Jesus. And there's a lot of folks today that still don't believe him. People just persist in believing that, well, God loves us in general, but God can't love us in particular. God knows us in general, but God can't know us in particular. But He does. God knows me and God knows you. He knows my name. He knows your name. He knows where we live. He knows how many hairs I've got on my head. God has a purpose for every individual on the top side of His green earth. And God's purpose is that every one of His children would come to the highest development of their personal possible capacity God's will is nothing but good for every child of his and he does not discriminate whether that child is born in Africa or the United States whether it's born in Russia or Canada or France or Germany wherever that child is born God's purpose is only good for every child of his Now, sometimes we thwart God's will by our own free will. But God intended that every child of His should come to the highest possible development of their inherent abilities. But as I said, through the years, God has been hindered, God has been frustrated. God has often been blocked by the stupidity of men. God has been blocked by the greed and the envy and the prejudices and the exploitation of men and women. God has been continually hindered, not because God's will was not perfect, But he's been hindered because the carrying out of his purposes by men and women has been imperfect. One of our biggest failings is that we try to put limitations on God. We try to limit God with human limitations. We often forget that God is God. He is the one who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. He's the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. But we often forget about that and we think of God in terms of a man. And we think of Him in terms of a man with human limitations. You see... Jesus talked about God. And Jesus related God to us in terms of humanity. He tells us that God is like a father. And He tells us a story about the man that had two sons. And that one of the sons came and demanded his inheritance at went and spent it in riotous living, and the other son stayed at home. He tells us about those two sons. It's a story we refer to as the prodigal son. And he refers to God and tells us that God is like a father. And he tells us about God in terms of humanity, that God is like a man that sowed seed that went forth to sow. But Jesus, when He tells us God and explains God to us in terms of humanity, is not placing human limitations on God. What Jesus is telling us is that God is like us in moral values. But God is not like men and women in weaknesses and in limitations. As human beings, you and I have limitations, but God is completely free from the limitations that you and I have, and yet even though God said, let there be light and there was light, even though God created this world and everything in it. Even though Jesus tells us a sparrow doesn't fall to the earth without the knowledge of God, we worry about whether or not God can look after 8 billion people all at the same time. And maybe that's because of our own human limitations. Because most of us have trouble remembering 25 people. and I were in the grocery store in Marshall the other day and a guy from three aisles over pulls his mask down waves. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Hey, bud, good to see you. How's everything going for you? I looked at Norm. I said, who is that? She said, I don't know. I said, me neither. And then we got closer to him and an old friend I hadn't seen in years. But how many times have you run into someone, maybe at Walmart or Brookshire's or in the courthouse getting your car registered? Someone you haven't seen in many years? Someone you know quite well and you can't call their name? It's happened to all of us. So we have trouble remembering maybe 25 people. And there's no way we could know... Just the 6,000 people that live in sinner by name. So if we have that much trouble, and Jesus has described God in terms of humanity sometimes, we've got to figure, well, there's no way that God can know 8 billion people by name. But God does. What we have done is we have allowed ourselves to attribute our limitations to God. Write this down. God does not have those limitations. God is in us, and we are in God. The inspired writer said, In Him we live and move and have our very being. Everything that's happening to us is happening to God, and God knows about it. God is intimately aware of every tragedy. He knows about every heartache. He knows about every joy and every problem that you and I have. God is not subject to our limitations. We get tired. We get fatigued. But God does never need a five-hour energy drink. He's constantly at work. He's constantly on the job. And God knows no limitations. And God knows no depletion of energy. What we have done is, we have placed limitations on God because of our anthropomorphic conception of God. I'd like to see a show of hands of how many of you know what anthropomorphic means. See, that's what I thought. I didn't know either. It's one of those great, big, four-syllable, academic words that means we think about God as if God was a man. And that's what we've got to stop doing. We've got to stop placing human limitations on the God of heaven. God's love and God's care and God's guidance for us, for me, for you or in us, particular, particularly for us as individuals. And God's love and God's care and God's concern is not in general. God wants me and you whoever we are, wherever we are, to come to the fullest realization of our highest and best. And toward that end, God is constantly at work. Don't ever forget this. What is important to you is important to God. Whatever it is you're cried about yesterday, God knew about it. And He cared. What you're rejoicing over, God knows. And God rejoices with you. We must never reach the point that we think we are so insignificant. God does not care for us. But there's something else very important. Because God cares for us as individuals. God's demands upon us are not general. God's demands upon us as individuals are not generalized demands. God tells us to love one another. And you know, when you say that, God said, love one another. Well, you know, when you think about humanity in general, that's pretty easy, isn't it? It's pretty easy to love humanity in general, just like God tells us to. However, it's not quite so easy to love that irritating, two-timing, worthless son of perdition that's always getting into our business, is it? That's when it gets a little harder. It's easy to sit in worship and fold our hands and, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, that's easy to do. But wait a minute, we're singing that and God says, Okay, I'm waiting. What are you waiting for, God? I'm waiting for you to demonstrate the fact that you love me. Sitting in worship with the saints of God singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, that doesn't do the work. What does the work is going out into the world around us and demonstrating our love for one another and showing it to God. What does the work is going out into the world and demonstrating our love for God by loving each other. And a failure to love one another makes liars out of us when we say we love God. John makes that plain in 1 John 4 and verse 20. John says, if a man says, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. Those aren't my words. Those are John's words. And it's plain language. And John goes on and says, He that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You see, just as God loves us in particular, and God loves us as individuals, God's demands on us are in particular. God's demands on us are as individuals. It's just as Jesus says in Matthew 25 in those judgment parables. When He tells them that you gave a cup of water and you I was sick and you visited me, Lord, when did we do it? He said, as in much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I was sick and you didn't come visit me. I was in prison you didn't come to me. Lord, when did we do all this? Well, as in as much as you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not unto me do we realize do we really understand the incredible truth in the good news we read in Matthew chapter 10 a while ago spare us sold two for a farthing and not one of them falls to the ground without the father's knowledge and concern What kind of love is that? That's the love of God in Jesus Christ for us. That's the redeeming power of God that sent Jesus Christ to this earth to redeem my soul and your soul from sin. That's the love. That caused God to send Christ to this low ground of sin and sorrow. That's the love that sent Jesus to the cross. If I asked you this morning, what was it that held Jesus on that cross? It wasn't the nails through his hands and the spike through his feet that held Jesus to that rough-hewn wooden cross. It was His love for me and His love for you that held Him to the cross. It wasn't the nails. It was His love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the kind of love that we should give back to God. The kind of love where we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives. And when Jesus tells us to love one another as He's loved us, that we do that. And we don't just do it in general. We do it in particular. Do you love the Lord? Do you love Him enough for Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life? If He's not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. Are there changes you need to be making? If there are changes you need to make for... Jesus, to be Lord and Master of your life. This is your opportunity to come and let us help you make those changes. As together we stand and while we sing.